Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Your meeting with Sergey Lavrov this week. If it happens, it means no war. If it doesn't happen, it means war's begun. Uh, is that the fair way to look at that meeting? That's, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good uh, summary, Chuck. Yes. There you go. So that was on Meet the Press yesterday when there was talk of our Secretary of State meeting with his Russian counterpart. And uh, Chuck Todd saying, so if you meet, no war. But if you're not meeting, war. Uh, well, since then, there's been talk of Biden and Putin getting together to meet. Uh, I don't remember who instigated that or started it first, but Putin said, sure, I'll meet with him. And Biden said, sure, I'll meet with him if there's not a war. So, um, some people are portraying that as us continuing to dance to Putin's tune. I don't know. Although I just saw a headline that uh, Putin said, no, 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 that meeting's not happening. Right. No that's way. that's what Mike Lyon said earlier. Yeah. Which is more of Putin, us dancing to Putin's tune. He gets to say yes, and then so Biden says yes, then Putin says no, and then we have to say no. So he has been able to dictate at every point what's going to happen. Uh, last week, Putin said what is happening in the Donbass today is genocide. Well, if there's a genocide going on, that justifies practically anything, right? Sure. The Donbass. Donbass, short for Donetsk Basin. It's an area. That's why you have the in front of it. As people often referred to back in the day, the Ukraine, it's only been a country for, in its current form, for 30 years. Ukraine means in Polish and Russian borderlands. So for Russians and Poles, who both ran Ukraine for centuries, uh, the Ukraine is like saying the West in the United States, the Wild West, and that's what the Ukraine has been. Hmm. Um, it's now its own country, but that's not the way it's seen by Russians or Poles or a lot of other people. But Ukraine has been fought over for a thousand years, and people have gone in there and laid waste to it over and over again, which might be why the people are so willing to fight and not quite as scared as we feel like they ought to be. Uh, even if, uh, well, they've been at war since 2014 also. But this ain't their first rodeo for this generation or their dads or their grandparents or their great-great-grandparents. Right, warrior culture. It is a warrior culture. And, uh, man, I was reading about um, the famine that was imposed on them in 1932 by Stalin where he sealed off the borders of the country just to punish them. And millions and millions of people flat out starved to death. They were down to killing their neighbors and eating the bodies. Who killed who first and ate them to try to survive? Russian police were going door to door and going in with guns drawn and taking your food out to make sure you didn't have any. Good Lord. That's the history of Ukraine. That's the history of communism. uh, that's from Red Famine by Ann Applebaum, if you want to read that horrific book. I mean, but so, so they have suffered under um, neighbors for forever. What a ho- horrible situation for that plot of Man, land. Man, that's rough. Just because those homo sapiens hadn't happened to have uh, been born in that plot of land and not this one. Yeah. Um, so why there would be the idea in Ukraine that we want to be part of Russia with that history? 90% of Ukrainians voted to leave the Soviet Union when it was put to a vote back in 91. 90%. Yeah. Now, um, 
the where the rubber really meets the road and it gets kind of a for us in the Western world is um the uh, Budapest Memorandum from 1994, which is the agreement that the West came up with. Hey, we realize you have the third largest stockpile of nuclear weapons on the entire planet. Ukraine had the third biggest nuclear stockpile in the world behind only the United States and Russia. But I'll tell you what, the Budapest sign here on the Budapest Memorandum, this is our agreement that we in Great Britain and some other countries will guarantee your sovereignty and safety if you just give up those nukes. Russia signed it, too. Of course, who cares what Russia signs? They've never honored anything. But you'd think the United States and Great Britain, having you sign on to that, you might feel kind of comfortable, and they, they did. And uh, now they've been invaded a number of times, including this week. They might just flat get taken over by Russia, and the United States and Great Britain is not going to protect them. Um, a number of leaders from Ukraine over the weekend, when asked the question, do you think it was a mistake to give up your nukes, have said, yes, oh, absolutely it was a mistake to give up our nukes. Wow. How do you feel about that? Uh, ashamed? Probably. I understand what the impetus was at the time. It's just not, it was not nearly a stable enough country to have that nuclear force. I mean, there's no way they could guarantee to protect them or, or keep them safe uh, from bad actors of all different descriptions. But, yeah, having said, we'll protect your sovereignty. It, well, it, it's it's a great deal like, uh, you know, Blue America's telling to, to gun owners, you give up your guns, the cops will keep you safe. And you know it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's kind of sad and sickening, obviously. Yeah, that's a pretty good analogy, actually. That's a pretty good analogy. Well, and Ukraine's been unstable and corrupt and the rest of it and had various warlord, goon, thug oligarchs running it. I mean, it's not like it's not like it's a perfect democracy, you know, resisting the Russian advances. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on there and always has been. But, yeah, it's extremely troubling. So, the whole deal. A couple of uh, guys in suits and ties went on television in Russia today saying they represent their particular regions where they've got a lot of Russian-speaking people talking about the genocide and saying they need help. And so Putin is saying, look, they're asking us for help, and he's having emergency meetings right now as we speak where uh, he says he's getting advice that uh, the, the Russian military needs to rescue these people that are the victims of a genocide being perpetrated by the Ukrainians. And he is going to make his announcement today whether he decides to recognize those separatist Ukrainian territories as independent. Well, when he announces that, the war is fully on, right, at that point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So probably today. Sure. Could be any any second now. You know, it strikes me because I've I've talked to some people who sympathize with Ukraine or, or I'm sorry, with Russia or corresponded with them. And a great deal is made of the votes in some of those breakaway regions that they were supposed to be granted semi-autonomous status, blah, blah, blah. that are Russian speakers and, and the rest of it. But absolutely every every question, every assertion is open a question. OK, they had a vote. Was it an honest vote? Was it a good vote? OK, so this town voted 90 percent, but they're 15 miles from the border. So what do you do? Make them semi-autonomous and everybody around them. And then it gets even more complicated because if if Russia were not putting the screws to Ukraine and everybody was was peaceful and at ease and just trying to feed their families and the rest of it, would the Russian, uh, ethnically Russian people in Ukraine give a damn either way anyway? 
So, in other words, it's in Putin's interests, since I believe he's expansionist, wants more territory, more resources, because Ukraine has astounding mineral resources. We haven't even gotten into that. They have all sorts of, uh, of the, uh, the stuff that's needed for the 21st century economy. And Putin has his designs on that stuff, too. So it's in his interests to ratchet up tension as much as possible, put the squeeze on those ethnic Russians so they're as unhappy as possible. I'm not saying that's the entirety of why they say, yeah, I'd kind of like to be part of Russia. But that's part of it. Well, if if that's his entire excuse for virtually everything he's doing, he wants to make them as uncomfortable and angry as possible. Fast forward six months, your guess. In six months, does... Putin, Russia, more or less control Ukraine. Yes. I say yes also. So um, I think it's inevitable. I think Mike Lyons, our guest from earlier in the show, if you missed it, grab the podcast. Um, I think he would say yes, um, based on what he said the last couple of times we had him on. So with that being true, I hope there's some way Putin can take over the country without slaughtering, you know, 100,000 innocents. Yeah, my guess is he's going to seek to prove that his forces are so overwhelming, there's no point in resistance. It would just be a, a suicide mission. And and he says, okay, here's the way it's going to be. We're going to install a puppet government. He probably won't openly call it a puppet government, but it's going to be an Eastern-leaning government. And, you know, then it'll become a police state. And, and probably a huge pain in his hind end for a very long time, but who knows? So uh, one more thing on this, something interesting that Jennifer Griffin of Fox reported over the weekend. So um, this news came out from Fox News. The U.S. Embassy Russia issued new security warnings about potential attacks in Moscow and St. Petersburg at shopping centers, rail and metro stations and other public places, according to media sources, it mm-hmm. said. Jennifer Griffin tweeted out, I hate to say this, but this all feels like Moscow 1999, when Putin uh, and the FSB, which is the modern version of the KGB, blew up three apartment buildings filled with sleeping Russian women and children, killing them all so that they could blame it on the Chechen terrorists to justify an invasion of Chechnya. This is Putin's playbook. So they put out a warning, warning, state TV put out a warning, there could be attacks at shopping malls and rail centers. There could be explosions today from Russia's own government, Russia's own people, mm-hmm. blowing up innocents at a shopping mall so they can say those damn Ukrainians and justify going in. Because that's what they did with the whole Chechnya thing. Sure. God, he's, Hitler did with the Reichstag. He is, he is flat out a killer, Putin. He has no feelings whatsoever. He's a lizard person. Right. He's a sociopath. Right. Well, He's uh, a psychopath. I hate to go back and quote Dolph again, but you know he made clear the, the quote-unquote great men of history have to be willing to sacrifice hundreds of thousands of people. That's right there in the job description. If you blanch at killing millions, really, to advance your giant history-changing goals, you're not suited for this work. That's what Hitler thought. Uh, I, th- I said one more thing, but I have one more thing. Uh, Kasparov, the former chess champion, who is now you know a speaker, uh, speaks out against Putin regularly, and he's on lots of different places. Some on CNN. He was talking about the the West continually talks about Putin being 
um, uh, what's the marginalized on the world stage and an outcast on the world stage and blah, blah, blah. They've been saying this for decades. Well, look, going back to 99 when he blew up all those innocents in apartment buildings so he can invade Chechnya. When he invaded Georgia in 2008 or 9, when he went into Crimea, part of Ukraine before. And the West is always talking about he's marginalized on the world stage. But then we give him Olympics. We give him World Cup soccer. We give him all kinds of different things. He doesn't seem that marginalized to me. Right. Right. Yeah, that, that whole argument's just dopey. Well, we how many times did you hear in reference to Kim Jong-un? How he's going to find himself very isolated if right. he tests it. Well, he tested it. If he makes another missile test, he'll be super duper isolated. Okay. Putin will be a pariah, but we'll give him the Olympics and we'll continue to build the gas pipeline and all that sort of stuff. You're not much of a pariah. Yeah, thanks, Germany. Uh, our text line is always 415-295-KFTC. A mom sees her son on TV as a robbery suspect and calls the police. We need more of this sort of thing. Uh, among other things we can talk about coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. For the second time in as many days, transgender University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas broke another woman's swimming record, this time the 200 meters. It's a great moment for women's sports, Jack. It's going to be difficult to get through this story without the sarcasm dripping straight out of my mouth, down my chin, and onto my shirt. Enough to fill a pool. Mm, that's a lot of sarcasm. Uh, da, 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 uh, you know, the NCAA, I'm reading this editorial, which is quite good about the cowardice of the NCAA allowing men to compete against women. Did you watch <laughs> any of the videos? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, the women who are the best, you know, among the best women swimmers, well, really in the world, but certainly in America, who finished, you know, second through fifth, they get there and you can just see the looks on their faces. I mean, they're, oh, yeah. just, they're just disgusted by the whole thing. Yep. Yep. Friday night, Thomas won the conference's 200 meter freestyle competition by almost three seconds. 200 meters, three seconds? Yeah. And uh, set a new record at Harvard's Blodgett Pool, besting the previous mark uh, a day after she won the Ivy League's 500 meters freestyle, which also set the pool record. She Well, she's the greatest <clears throat> woman swimmer in Ivy League history. I mean, she's Absolute, just dominates. Absolutely true. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Ms. Thomas was allowed to compete in this year's uh, women's championships because the former fella underwent testosterone treatment for over a year, a factor which apparently makes up for his advantage in muscle, skeletal strength, lung capacity, hand size, foot size, heart size, and the fact that, you know, he's a man, according to this uh, writer in the uh, New York Post. Uh, Thomas was ranked 462nd as a man, currently ranked number one competing against women. It's an epic comeback story for the ages, writes the uh, New York Post. You know, I read you part of an editorial the other day by uh, Cynthia Monteleone, who's a uh, a swimming uh, star herself. She's now uh, an adult, but she's in the master's program. She's a mom. She's a coach, et cetera. And she's an, become an activist about protecting women's sports. 
And she goes into all the science of it, which is just undeniable and, and completely one-sided. The enormous advantage somebody with a, a male body has athletically. And anybody with any sense gets this. But then... But then she talks about the toll on the girls, which you alluded to, the, the young women who are competing. Um, she said the most important factor is the psychological toll. Many of the girls I coach suffer from anxiety over having to compete against male-bodied athletes. We all know the powerful scientific neurotransmitter connection between our minds and our bodies. When you think you can win, you have a better chance of doing it. It's undeniable. Yet those of us who dare speak out that competing against males is unfair are told, oh, that's not that big of a deal. It doesn't happen that often. Just keep your mouth shut and be quiet. From coast to coast, we see people covering up, etc. But the poor young women who stand on the starting blocks know they're not only going to get beat, they're going to get beat by full multiple seconds. Well, what does that do to them and their, their times and their motivation and their hearts and souls? I also think it's a mistake for the trans community uh, to the extent that you know some people in the trans community celebrate this sort of thing. I think you're making a real uh, uh, mistake of um, strategy because people, more and more people are coming around to the idea that, okay, this whole trans thing is real. I buy into it, everything like that. But this is really turning people off, really turning people off. You're doing damage to your cause. You're not helping your cause. You're doing damage to it. Yeah, for the uh, aggrandizement of very, very few people. I think you're absolutely right on that point. Yeah. If you miss an hour of the show, you can grab the podcast. For instance, our interview with Mike Lyons about what's going on in Russia right now. You can catch that from an earlier hour at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Queen has COVID. The Queen has COVID. It was announced over the weekend. <laughs> I saw that. I'm not, she's an old lady with the vid. Uh, just, oh, my God. She's, she's 100. Isn't she 99? She has shit. It's got to be a comorbidity right there, the fact that you're 100. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. And but, but, but what I would say about the whole uh, Queen getting the COVID thing, the first thing I thought is, Guarantee you, they were doing every freaking thing you possibly can to keep her from getting the COVID. Correct. And she still got it. Mm-hmm. So what's the point? Everybody gets Omicron. Most yeah. people don't even know they have it because it's such a mild deal. Yeah. But quit yeah. acting like me standing eight feet away from you at the Best Buy or whatever. Or you washing the pen is the key to all this. Uh, had enough. Had enough. Had enough. The Queen has COVID. Hashtag over COVID. That's that's the big hashtag these days. You mm. gotta have a hashtag. Hey, you know it's funny. the The tie between last segment and this segment is, and there are days. There are days. I feel somewhat optimistic about our country not going completely insane, and that's when I see you're mistaken. The, the <laughs> I I didn't say it wasn't misplaced hope. It it could be delusion. Anyway, like the the big 
hulking dudes claiming to be women wiping up the pool with the poor girls who are supposed to keep, compete against them. That's a huge overreach of the radical, there is no such thing as a man and a woman left. I mean, that is that is just sticking it in the face of reasonable Americans so they can't ignore the issue anymore and screaming at them, choose a side. And I think I know which side most people are going to take. And then you have the constantly calling everything racism. Everything's white supremacy. There can be only, there is only one kind of racism. That's white people who hate black people. They're, they're going so far down their wackadoo. Only grad students believe this crap road. They're exposing themselves as the crazies that they are to wit the situation in San Francisco with the school board recall and everything. Yeah, where the president, the vice president, and another one of the heavyweights got booted off the school board. London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, who was in favor of the recall, as a lefty mayor in San Francisco, was in favor of the recall, was on Meet the Press yesterday talking to Chuck Todd. They were focusing on other things that were clearly a distraction. Not to say that those other things around renaming schools and conversations around changes to our school district weren't important, but what was most important is the fact that our kids were not in the classroom. And San Francisco, our Department of Public Health, we've been a leader during this COVID pandemic. And in some cases, we have put forth the most conservative policies to ensure the safety of all San Franciscans and our vaccination rates and our death rates and other numbers demonstrate that we are a clear leader. Um, and they get into the uh, what Joe was just talking about here. One of the ousted members said this, white supremacists are enjoying this and the support of the recall is aligned with this. Is that the right kind of reaction to what happened? Well, of course, it's not the right kind of reaction. And the fact that we're still even listening uh, to any of the recalled school board members is definitely a problem. Yes. Again, we should be focused on the parents. We should be focused on the school district and the challenges that these kids have faced. And that's the biggest problem. This person is making it about them when it really should be about our kids who have suffered, not just in San Francisco, but all over this country as a result of this pandemic. (laughs) You people who believe that the recall of school board members in San Francisco was white supremacy are actually crazy. Yeah. You're actually crazy. You're so, you're so crazy. You're lefty. I don't agree with her about anything. Mayor thinks you're crazy. Right. Right. And remember these school board crazies and that's You know, that's a good point. And London breeds an interesting person because she's unquestionably a woman of the left, but she has the capacity, I think, for recognizing reality when she sees it. And again, these people are so far down some sort of road. She is now an activist against them, which goes back to my regular point. I think that's kind of a good thing for yeah, the rest her, of us. Her saying, why are we still listening to these people? It's right. something. Right. But the whole calling everybody a white supremacist. Do you remember trying to get kids back in schools, especially brown and black kids, so they could get an education? That was white supremacist. And one of the booted school board members, Allison Collins, who is actually mentally ill, in my opinion, as a radio host, um, back in uh, October of 2020, tweeted, please be mindful that merit is an inherently racist construct designed and centered on white supremacist framing that justifies who is and isn't worthy of education, safety, justice, empathy, basically humanity. So she plays the uh, white supremacy card all the time. Oh, and that reminds me, she said, what was the other quote? Something to the effect of, um, 
Asian people have internalized white supremacy and have made themselves into tools of the white supremacists. I mean, how? give her another five minutes, she'll insult everybody on earth and, and demean them. It sounds like when, um, what's his name, ran for governor in California? Larry Elder. Larry Elder, the black face of white supremacy, said the L.A. Times. Yeah. What yeah. the hell are you talking about? People are freaking lunatics. So on uh, ABC This Week, their roundtable, oh, this guy Rick Klein thinks this is a good sign what happened in San Francisco. This wasn't bigger than politics. This was parents against parents. This was about how you feel things on a visceral level, how you experience the way that government interacts with you and your child. And the fact that you had people who seemed more focused on uh, peripheral issues, um, issues of school renaming, uh, that were not laser focused on getting kids back in the classroom, that, that had uh, schools that were shut down for, for over a year. The, it just, to me, spoke to the, the scars that people are taking out of COVID. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited. This is like the first good thing that has happened, and I don't know how long, where there's been a real indication that there is a line. There is a line you can cross, and it's too much. And the San Francisco school board did it. So just, just ha- it's just good to know that there is a line. Yeah, and that uh, sane Americans recognize when it's been crossed. I'm struck by that statement he made, and London Breed made that, and it's it's absolutely correct. These people were not primarily interested in running the schools and educating the children. It reminds me of uh, like your George Gascon, your Chesa Bodine, your various radical left uh, DAs around the country. They're not primarily interested in putting criminals behind bars and having a fair justice system. Their priority is the social justice thing. So you got to understand that you are letting a fox in the hen house, whatever hen house it is, be it a school board or a DA's office or whatever, when you have these people in charge, they're not there to do that job. They are there to advance their radical, just insane Marxist agenda. Just shun them, fear them, boot them out of office. I'll tell you what we need more of is this. So an 18-year-old dude robs a train in Chicago, and the cops have the masked bandit on security video and put it on the TV, if you know this man. Well, his mom recognized him. That's Zion, said Zion's mom. And she went to his room and grabbed him by the ear and took him down to the police station. Whoa. Yeah. Tough love. Turned him in. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Need more of that. Wow, that's that's a wild story. Might save that young man's life. No Might kidding. turn it around. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh he put a gun in somebody's face too, which always oh can go God. can go very bad. Oh, he's a little further down the road than I was picturing. She turned yeah. him in. Wow. Way to go, mom. Um, would you do that? Hmm? Would I do that? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. When my kids robbed somebody at gunpoint and I knew it was them? Absolutely. What's the other option? Wait until they... On the lamb. Wait until they end up in prison because they killed somebody or... No, absolutely. Die in a gun battle or... Have to step in. Um, Did you watch any of the closing ceremonies of the Olympics last night? Absolutely not. Did anybody? Did you even know it was happening? I was just checking my watch, figuring out when Putin would, uh, you know, go in or continue building toward going in. That was my only interest in the closing ceremonies, as I stick to my theory that 
she asked Putin, don't do anything crazy till after the Olympics. The eyes of the world are on Beijing. That was certainly the least impactful Olympics of my lifetime. Headline in the Wall Street Journal was that, uh, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you'll get the idea, Chairman Xi hoping to uh, focus the eyes on the of the world on the grandeur of Chinese society, instead uh, put the focus on the divisions. Um, and I think that's absolutely true. Speaking for the United States, well, that was that was the uh, the the murmuring undercurrent of virtually everything you heard about the Olympics, wasn't it? Yeah. Or is that just because I'm such a China hawk? No, no, I think that's I think that's accurate. Um, that's basically the story AP has today, where NBC is rethinking their uh, their commitment to Olympics. But um, uh, the most successful American athlete ended up being that. Goo woman, is that how you pronounce her name, who competed mm-hmm. for China? That's not good. Oh, so, do we have, do so we have team, any of that? So our team just flat didn't do that well either, even if no. you didn't have the whole um, it's being held in uh, an evil country thing. Do we have any of the Bill Maher stuff talking about uh, Ms. Goo? Which one is that, uh, Michael? I think it's three, catering to China, I believe. It's good enough. It's beaten up on China either way. Let's give that a listen. Why not? We got time. Kowtow is a Chinese word, but boy, Americans have gotten good at it. (laughs) For years, Google proudly refused to kowtow to Chinese censors, adopting the slogan, don't be evil. But the Chinese market proves so lucrative that, well, okay, a little evil. That's the deal China offers American companies and celebrities. We'll give you access to our billion-plus consumers as long as you shut up about the whole police state genocide thing. John Cena took that deal. Well, come on, China accounts for 34% of global box office, and he's a movie star now. So, like the Uyghurs, last year he learned he needed to get some re-education. John referred to Taiwan as a country, as if it was a separate country from China. Which it is. But China would like to do to Taiwan what it did to Tibet and what it's now doing to Hong Kong. So we were treated to this video. And I thought steroids shrunk your balls. Wowee, when a country can make your big, muscly, macho man action stars grovel in their language, you know you're somebody's bitch. I loved that from Bill Maher. Mm-hmm. I love him absolutely destroying a big uh, Hollywood superstar and calling him ballless and all that sort of stuff. I hope that becomes the norm. And the same thing happens to LeBron or whoever else stands up for China. I hope it ends up being the sort of thing that will really damage your career if you're seen as being on the side of China. I think we're going that direction. Yeah. Yeah, it, it feels like it is. It could take a long time. I think the goose stuff was probably right at the beginning, clip one, Michael. But, you know, maybe we'll get to it later. But I, I love that that turn. And, um, you know, I, I hope there are more Bill Mars out there with even bigger audiences that can take on these people and point out, look, you're being a tr- a coward and a traitor to humanity. Right. You're so, a greed head, too. So congratulations. Love that. Of course, the NBA's problem is that, like, that's the entire league. 
Well, and as the world looks at the two systems and the two sets of leaders and decides who best to follow, we've got Joe Biden and Kamala Harris up top. Uh, we have a clip from Kamala that's pretty good by her standards. Oh, boy. I mean, uh, who ordered the word salad? Oh, the extra large word salad? It's unbelievable if you haven't heard it. That's next. Armstrong and Getty. Talk 650 KSTE. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This one so much from Kamala Harris, right? This is this this one is our favorite that we've been playing for. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. <laughs> that really kind of put her on the map of nonsense ways of talking. And oh, uh, oh yeah, but now it's become clear that I mean that was her. Please, please me, and her Sergeant <laughs> Pepper's Lone Hearts Club band was still to come. So she goes to Munich over the weekend? Is that where she was, speaking about the Ukraine thing and us being united and all that? And the key to all these, to me, is her her cockiness. She's so She delivers these with so much, I'm laying some S on you right now. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. I'm dunking. I'm dunking the ball. Here she goes. We must together work together to see where we are, where we are headed, where we are going, and our vision for where we should be but also see it as a moment, yes, to together address the challenges and to work on the opportunities. And also see it as a moment, yes, that's after like four asides. Wow. I, honest to God, I might, I might have to get Sam's uh, English teacher. Could you go ahead and diagram this for me? I don't, I don't think I've got the chops for it at this point in my life. Go ahead. Hit me with all the gerunds, the verbs, the predicates. I wanted, I wanted the semicolons, the parentheses, then the brackets around the parentheses. Because that's a hell of a little spiel. Play it again, Michael. It's astounding. We must together, work together, to see where we are, where we are headed, where we are going, and our vision for where we should be but also see it as a moment, yes, to together address the challenges and to work on the opportunities. It's sapping my will to live. So as I've said, as a guy who speaks for a living, whenever I end up in a sentence like that, I realize I'm floundering and I'm trying to find a way out. I get the sense that when she ends those, she thinks, nailed it, (laughs) and sits back down. How'd you like that, huh? Mm. <laughs> Does she think she's like, I've talked myself into a corner here. I don't know how I'm going to finish this. Does she think that or does she just think, yeah, yeah, and yes, together that we must. And and moreover, does she realize she's just, you talk like that when you got nothing. That That's when you start talking like that, when you got nothing. Well, Jack, I asked that we together can together. And yes. Plan to do what we are going to do in the future together, and that is, quote, my hero H.L. Mencken, who was writing about Warren G. Harding, he was secretly writing about Kamala Harris. On this President's Day, you bring out a little Harding. That's That's fantastic. That's right. That's right. He writes the worst English that I have ever encountered. 
It reminds me of a string of wet sponges. It reminds me of tattered washing on the line. It reminds me of stale bean soup, of college yells, of dogs barking idiotically through endless nights. It is so bad that a sort of grandeur creeps into it. It drags itself out of the dark abysm of pish and crawls insanely up to the topmost pinnacle of posh. It is rumble and bumble. It is flap and doodle. It is balder and dash. <laughs> Good Lord, we must together work together. We must together work together to see where we are, where we are headed, where we are headed, where we are going, and our vision for Which where we is, should see. And yes, say, that's the but same also thing see three it times. As a moment, yes, yes, to together address oh. the challenges. Yes, and to work on the opportunities. Oh, well, that sounds like a plan. Who's with me? Good Lord. So to kick off hour four, if you're going to miss it, grab it on the podcast. I'm sorry. She makes Dan Quayle look like George Washington. (laughs) How in the name of Spiro Agnew is she the vice president? Ah, boy. (laughs) So did you see the second two thirds of 60 Minutes last night as they dedicated two long segments which is unusual for 60 Minutes, to Havana Syndrome, which is one of the more interesting things that has gone on in recent memory. And uh, and Scott Pelley being pretty frustrated by the CIA, who continues to downplay this for some reason. It's psychosomatic. They're imagining it. There's no problem here. Some of the stories that these people were willing to come forward and talk about of having been attacked by whoever they, it is, the brain, the waves in their brain or whatever, and their kids and their families and everything like that. It's really quite amazing. If you haven't heard it, we'll, we'll kick off hour four with that. And if you can't stick around for hour four, maybe your station doesn't carry it. Grab it later via podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.